0: Um, the uh, the biggest chunk of our service today is you spending time with the Lord. So that's going to happen through prayer and through music and through coming up and taking communion when the Lord leads you for that. If that's something that uh, is common, that you've made space in your life, sacred space to really camp out with Christ, this might be a very refreshing and familiar time. But for those of you that maybe this is a new experience, I just want to encourage you that even if it feels a little awkward to kind of sit in that and rest in that and let the Lord speak to you. Because sometimes it takes me getting really still, uh, and maybe it's true about you too, to really begin to hear from the Lord. Um, So I encourage you to fight for that quiet space and time with the Lord. So, um, So what I would like to do is I'd like to challenge you to pray for yourself and pray for somebody else in this room. We are a community, and uh, there's one thing that I can assure you about the people sitting around you, is they do not have it together nearly as much as they're trying to convince you they do, all right? And the reason I know that is because that's true about you, <laughs> that you're not together as much as your cologne would give the aroma of, all right, or your perfume. And uh, so we need help this morning. And if we know that about ourselves, then we also know that about the people sitting around us, um, okay? So why don't we do this? Um, I'm going to kind of stop and let you guys pray a little bit about yourself, and then maybe there's somebody in the room that uh, God is just kind of leading you to. You may not even know their name, but pray that this morning would be a time of healing for them, and a time of renewal, and a time of maybe truly encountering the God of the universe, all right? And then I'll close with in prayer and we're going to go into some readings and then into our time of worship. Any questions? Coffee's out the door. If you're ADD or if you're hyperactive, you can jog on the jogging track up uh, in the balcony, all right? And uh, feel free to be animated during our time of worship and the sermon. I love getting heckled. Okay. You know what's always crazy about doing that? Here's a personal preference, all right? When you take the role of being a pastor, you can do this. But until then, it's my job. Uh, you know, it's always awkward to do the call of worship because I know that what we pray to have happen in this room and we pray continually all week to have happen in your life, we have no power to do. And so it's kind of awkward, you know. It's We're really getting ready to go into an intimate place with the God of the universe. And my prayer is that you would go there. But I don't know what the Lord has in store for you today. I don't. Uh, maybe what he has in store for you today is deep conviction and repentance. Maybe it's renewal. Maybe you're going to hear him whisper uh, the name that he has for you that he has written on his hand. I don't know. Um, but I know this, that if we come believing that we have come to church, uh, we may just miss it. But if we come believing that maybe what's about to happen is holy, um, maybe we can lean in and say, I don't want to miss it. Okay? All right. Here's my awkwardness. Let's pray. Lord, because I know myself, I think I know uh, the people in this room, that we are incredibly inconsistent. That in many ways, we are miserable wrecks. Because the things that we say that we are, we're not. And the things that we say we are going to do, we don't. And the things that we say we would never do is the very thing that we end up doing. And yet, Father, here we sit. We sit as those that have no place to go but to you. And so, Lord, in all of our inconsistencies, our celebrations, our successes, our joys... I pray you'd meet us and hear the prayers of your people as they pray for, from their own heart right now um, in their need for you I pray you'd also hear their hearts as they pray for somebody else in this room as we stand together as a community to fight for one another's hearts. Now we pray, Father, that you would open our ears that we can see you. In Christ's name. Like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, a great multitude will shout, hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus, you are the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him, for he is risen. Lord, uh, would you tune our hearts uh, to your grace? Amen. Hey, turn with me to Acts chapter 13, and let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the Lord before we come to the table. We've been going through the Book of Acts, and uh, if you were here last week, um, we talked about. This uh, crazy story of the prophets and the teachers of the early church gathered in Antioch and they were commissioning Paul and Barnabas to go on a journey of bringing the truth of Jesus Christ to the known world. And here is a really radical moment in the history of the church because Paul and Barnabas went. Isn't that crazy? I mean, when you think about it, Uh, their buddies were all sitting around praying and saying, you know what, I I think that we're going to stay in Jerusalem and we're going to keep talking to the Jews about Jesus and why don't you and Barnabas go take the rest of the world? And they said, okay. okay." I mean, have you ever known somebody in your life that uh, you had to be careful with them because if you dared them to do something, they would actually do it? Like you ought to eat that okay well they weren't doing it because they were crazy and out of control guys they were doing it because they had been praying and fasting and God had revealed His power to them and he called them by the Holy Spirit and so they believed that uh, they were kind of in this for life that uh, when Jesus came in their lives, it kind of wrecked them. And now their lives are about something other than themselves. And they figured, okay, if this, all right, yeah, okay. You're calm, let's go. So they're traveling. They get on a ship and they go to an island and they preach some there. And Paul had this crazy experience where uh, this sorcerer um, was just giving him trash and Paul blinded him and uh yeah you got you got to go read that that's in acts 13 and uh so people come to know the lord and then they travel by ship to another city and they end up in another antioch uh, not the same antioch and they're in the temple and they're worshiping it's the sabbath And uh, the Pharisees and the leaders of this temple see that Paul is sitting out in the audience and they send a message to him later that day and said, hey, if you've got something to say, we would love to hear it. Because they knew about Paul. I mean, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a leader in the church. He was actually known for traveling the world and persecuting those who were followers of the way or followers of Jesus. And here he is sitting, this famous Pharisee sitting in their temple And the Pharisees said, well, wow, we can't miss up this chance to have this famous person speak. So they invite him to speak. Boy, they had no idea what they were about to get themselves into. Because as some of you know, you know, Paul had had this radical conversion and now was a Christ follower. Instead of persecuting the way, now he was commissioned by God to build the way. And uh, he does something unusual. Because he says, you're asking me to speak because you know of all the things that I've done. You know my reputation. And we kind of understand that, don't we? We know what it's like to live by what you do. We know what it's like to be known for the things that you do. We work very hard to be known by what we do. By the way we dress, by the way we smell, by what our breath is like this morning, or what it's not like, or... Where we hang out, who are our friends, how do I do in school, how do I do in my job, how much money do I have, how much success do I have, have, how skilled am I in music, or how skilled am I in medicine. I mean, we are known by what we do, and even Proverbs says, you know, a child will be known by what they do. So we buy into that, we know that. And Paul does something crazy. So this is, um, this is we're in Acts chapter 13, and uh, we're in verse 16. Somebody got a page number? Is it too dark out there? 766. 766. If you're blind, then it means today you must trust. Because 12 times in this short, brief sermon, Paul points to what God is doing. So let's look at it. Men of Israel, and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. One. He said, God is the one who chose our fathers. Then he goes on to say, the God of the, pe- the people of Israel chose our father. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. Two. He was the one that made them prosper when they were enslaved and living in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. Three, it was God who led the Israelites out of slavery into freedom. Verse 18, he endured their, contact, their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. It was the Lord that was long-suffering and patient with this rebellious people. Then verse 19, he overthrew seven nations in Cana. That it was the Lord that overthrew the nations. And then six, he gave their land, he gave their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges. It was God who gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and it was God who gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. And after removing Saul, it was God who made David their king. Number nine, and then it was God who testified concerning David and said, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. For this man's descendants, it was God who has brought to Israel, the Savior, Jesus Christ. Number 11, and before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. And as John was completing his work, he said, who do you think I am? I am not the one. He was saying, it's not about me. It's about him and what he's doing. He is coming after me. Whose sandals I am unworthy to tie. Twelve times, Paul says, as he stands up in the synagogue, you put me up here because you knew about what I've done. Now let me tell you everything that God has done. That God is the author of history He's the one that's moving through history. He's the one that's orchestrating history. And his sovereign plan, he's bringing about his plan of redemption. It is God that is at work. And then he goes on to the next verse, and here is where it gets crazy. Because this is kind of the point where he turns, and this is where the pigs fly kind of comment, you know? You've heard the comment, you know, when pigs fly, I'll believe that. Well, this is the pig-flying statement. Or or this is the world-is-really-round statement. That it's not a flat. That this is about to change your whole paradigm of what you begin to think. Like, if I started to levitate right now, and just started to kind of float around the room as I was preaching, you, some of you would say, okay, this changes everything. Because that's, that's not... You can't do that, all right? Where are the wires? Like... It would, it would just change everything we know about gravity and physics and everything. So, well, you'd freak out if that happened, wouldn't it? Let's pause for a moment. Well, there's something more radical than me floating around this room. And Paul is saying something that we need to hear today before we come to the table. And that's this. It's not about you. And it's not about what you accomplish. It's not about what you bring to this table. How do we know that? Verse 32. We tell you the good news. What's the good news? What God promised our fathers. What God promised all the the fathers, the prophets, all those that have gone before us as we sit in this temple. He has fulfilled for us. Every promise has been fulfilled for us and their children. How, how did he fulfill the promise that he's made for thousands of years to our fathers? How did he do it? By raising up Jesus. Listen to what he says in verse 38. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. We've got to unpack that just a little bit before we come to the table because we've got to ask, what does that mean for us today? What did that statement just mean? Because Paul didn't give them the Roman road to salvation. He didn't, he didn't stand up and give the four spiritual laws. He didn't even offer them an altar call. Like what kind of preaching is that? He simply said Jesus is risen. And because he's risen, you are forgiven and you are justified. In Romans chapter six, you can write this down and go back and look at it later because all of the first beginning parts of first ten verses of Romans six, Paul's talking about sin and he's talking about radical grace, and he's saying that where sin increases, grace increases even more, that you can't outsend God's grace. And then he says, this is why, because we died with Christ on the cross. But if we died with him on the cross, we've also been raised with him in his resurrection. That we share as Christ followers in what he did and what he experienced. And then in verse 11 it says, in the same way, count yourselves dead. In other words, everything has changed because we died with him and now we've been raised with him. To sin, but to live to God in Christ Jesus. Meaning, we now live a new life because we have been raised with Christ in what He did on the cross in the resurrection. In other words, the old law, you get what you do, doesn't exist anymore. This is crazy. I mean, this is dangerous. If we start talking about this, that what Christ did on the cross finished everything... It paid for everything. It completed everything. It brought us from death into a newness of life. His grace and His grace alone. People say you can't talk like that. Because if you do that, then people are going to say, well, then I can go live whatever life I want. If it's everything He did and nothing I do, then can't I just go and live and sin? And and the answer to that question is, yes, you can. Sure. Try to out God's grace. That's radical, isn't it? Now, I'm not promoting sin, although I'm probably better at it than you guys are. I'm a seasoned veteran when it comes to sinning. Every flavor, shade, nuance. But you know, when we fail to step into the radical nature of grace, here's the kind of things that we say I feel so far away from God. How's your relationship with the Lord? I just, you know, I'm just not there, man. You know, it's just, you know, I'm just really struggling with sin and I just, you know, it's just not happening. And have you ever been in a situation, in a religious situation where somebody has said to you, hey, if you don't feel close to God, guess who moved? Has anybody ever said that to you? Nobody? You didn't go to the college I went to, you know? Because, man, if you're not moving forward, you're going back, right? Right? I mean, and man, if you're not feeling close to God, that's your deal because it must be something you're doing because, man, God is unmovable. And I'm just saying to you right now, that's wrong, 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 wrong. The reason that it's wrong is because God has promised you and he promised your father that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. You may say to God, man, God, you are right here. You are closer than a brother. And you're like the, the holy stalker. You're never going to leave me. You know? And you can say, I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to sin, 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 sin. I'm going to sin. And Jesus is right there with you. And he's whispering, you're holy. You're holy. You're holy. Sin, 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 sin. You're holy. I feel so far away from God. Why? He's right there all over you. That's the gospel of grace because you did nothing to get into it and there's nothing you can do to get out of it. He is right there. Really? Does that make you uncomfortable? Because isn't it the nature of the law to say what must I do to get God to love me or be close to me? Paul said to these guys, because of the resurrection, the, the law is gone. Right? So if I'm if I'm saying, man, I just am struggling with sin and God seems so far away. Do you smell the law in that? Because the law says if I don't sin, then I'll be good enough to be close to God. I've got to do something. It's going to make me close to God. And the law is over because it's not about what we've done. It's about what He has done. You know? And it's a kind of a fake Christianity. When I was in high school, um, have any of you seen Forrest Gump? And uh, there's the scene where he gets the Nike running shoes. Okay, those were huge in my school when I was in school back in the 30s. And... Uh, but back then, nobody paid like that, like $10 for a pair of tennis shoes, you know? Or 30 whatever they were. And so I remember saying to my dad, Dad, um, I would really like a pair of those because they're such status. You know, like the Nike leather tennis shoes. Oh, K-Swiss were big too. You know, with the stripes on the side? And you kind of tie in your jeans. Anyway. So... My dad said, Hey, I got you covered. And he took me to Kmart and he took me to show me the Nike knockoffs. They were like made in Korea and they looked like the Nike, but the swoosh was kind of upside down, you know? And you're like, Dad, I, that's posing. And I, I'm going to be found out, you know, as a pretender. It's not as good as the real. But a lot of us in Christianity, we still believe that this is all about me. I need to come to church so God can tell me what He wants from me. Okay, let's. can we unpack it just for a minute? In Galatians chapter 3, it says in verse 10, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. If you believe that your relationship with God is based on the things that you need to do and the rules that you've set up to please God, you are under a curse. That's a cursed way to live because you will fail. Verse 14. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham may come to the Gentiles through Christ. What he did is to redeem us So that he could bless us with the blessing of Abraham. And what was the blessing of Abraham? He declared Abraham righteous. He declared him holy. He declared him as one who was now justified. It's just as if Abraham had never sinned. And what Galatians, what Paul is saying in Galatians is those of us that are in Christ, we now receive the blessing of Abraham. We have been justified. He did it all. When he died, he paid every price. When he rose, he brought us up to life. See, the story is no different than what Paul was preaching when he said, God did, 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 God did. That when we look at our lives, we go, God did. Do you get it? Are you tracking with me? Listen to this in Romans chapter 4. For those who live by law are heirs. Now, what is an heir? An heir is somebody who is inheriting the wealth of their father. And if those who are living their lives by law, if they're the ones that are going to inherit the blessing, if they're the ones that are going to inherit the riches of God, which is righteousness in Jesus Christ, listen to what he says. Faith has no value. And the promise is worthless. Your faith has absolutely no value and the promises of God are worthless to you if you are living by law. Because law brings wrath and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Verse 16, Therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offsprings. What does that mean? Faith. The supernatural ability to receive the gifts of God promises the gifts of god that's what this is about pretty amazing <clears throat> he did it all you know it's funny it it would be easier for me to say that somebody who's living doesn't breathe than it is for me to say someone who has been rescued from their sins by the work of Christ is not holy. And we say, well, man, if I live like that, you know, who cares about sin? Well, let, let me just say a couple things about this, okay? There was a story of a woman who came and and she, in her tears, she was a prostitute, and she poured out her tears in this, this oil on the feet of Jesus in the house of Simon the Pharisee. And Simon looked at him and said, Man, you know, if you knew who she was, you wouldn't let her touch you. And he said, Simon, let me ask you a question. There were two men, and they owed their master money. One, $50, $100, the other, $5 million. And he forgave them both. He said, which of the two loves their master the most? Simon said, well, the one who was forgiven the most. Exactly. Exactly. And here's what's marvelous about the grace of God because God knows that He's not trying to change our behavior before He tries to change our hearts. And the only thing that changes our hearts is love. And I'm telling you right now that love is the most inefficient means of change there is. It is slow, it is painful, it's agonizing, but guess what? It's the only effective means of change. Because when my heart changes and I understand what I've been forgiven of and I understand the grace that God has given me and the position that He's put me in that I could never get there on my own, wow, I realize the depth in which I'm loved. And it allows me to love greatly. And when that happens, let me tell you what happens. We reign. What does that mean? Guys, the kingdom of God has come. It's calm. It's in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. It is reigning in us. And wherever we go, we bring that grace with us. Jesus even said in Matthew 5 that the light of the kingdom of God is in you. There's nothing you can do about it. Well, he says there's one thing you can do about it. You can hide it. You can put it under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it shine. You know? going to let the devil it out (laughs) he can't do that and he knows he can't do that so because he can't it out the only thing he can do is convince you that it's not true all he can do is deceive you into thinking it really is about you so we don't go to church when we're big sinners because we think well God you know I've just blown it you know Instead of realizing that God's grace has been poured out upon you and you have been completely forgiven of every sin from the past, from the present, and even in the future, that it has no claim on you anymore, that when Satan stands before the throne of God and points his finger at you and says, but, God says, slate clean. You cannot accuse. Nothing will stick. They are forgiven and innocent of all charges. When I was in college, I worked for the uh, dairy processing plant of my school. And, you know, we cartoned milk and we made ice cream and wore a little fishnet things over our head. It was cool. And uh, my favorite job was when they would tell me to go to the farm and pick up the milk. And so, you know, you get in this big truck. It's got the big, you know, two million gallon tank, you know, and you grind the gears. And you could always tell uh, when somebody was driving the truck whether the truck was full or empty. Because when you have about 500 gallons of cow juice in the back, you know, the truck handles differently. You tracking with me? This is a really bad illustration, so I'm going to need your help. Big time on it, all right? (laughs) Cross the bridge. Come with me. It was my favorite part of the job. Because, man, you could feel the milk just... Have you ever had unpasteurized milk? What we get in the store is not milk. Trust me. Unpasteurized milk. Straight from Mother Nature to your mouth. (laughs) Tastes like melted vanilla ice cream. With all that cream and fat in it. (sighs) One day our culture is going to embrace fatness there'll be programs on how to eat badly like the YMCA is going to have couches all over it you know I'm, I'm sorry that's okay the illustration's weak so here we go when the truck is full all the guys in the processing plant can see it coming and they go it's full we can tell because the way you handle the truck is differently than when it's empty guys you are full if you're in christ God's grace has come down on you in proportions that the angels long to look into what you have tasted. And you are full. He has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Christ is in you. You can't live the Christian life. God knows that. But Christ can. And He is in you. And He is longing now for the new kingdom that has come inside of you now to live itself in this world as a bright light. Because we have to earn the favor of God? No way. We are free because the tank is full. We do it because we have the favor of God. Listen to... Uh, let me read for you N.T. Wright. This is out of his book, Surprised by Hope. Rethinking the Resurrection. When it becomes clear that the people who feast at Jesus' table, this here... We are the ones in the forefront of work to eliminate hunger and famine. Why would we face hunger and famine? Because we usher in the new kingdom wherever we go. When people realize that those who pray for the Spirit to work in and through them, they are the people who seem to have extra resources of love and patience and caring for those whose lives are damaged, bruised, and shamed then it is not only natural to speak of Jesus himself and to encourage others to worship him for themselves and find out what belonging to his family is all about, but it's also natural for people, however irreligious they may think of themselves as being, to recognize that something is going on that they want to be a part of. In terms that the author of Acts may have used, when the church is living out the kingdom of God, When the tanker is full and we are driving our lives because we are those that have been drowned in grace and we are living anew. And when the church is living out of the kingdom of God, the word of God will spread powerfully and do its own works. What was it that Paul was saying to these people that was so radical? He was saying Christ is risen. And because of that, it's not about us, it's about Him. And yet He's brought us into His kingdom. So we're about to come to this table. <clears throat> Jesus said, uh, when you come to this table, do this in remembrance of me. Remember, Leonard Sweet would call this table the place where we get unamnesiaed. That our amnesia, that we have forgotten who we are. We have forgotten the whisper of the lover of our soul. We have forgotten the radical nature in which he has taken all our sins by the work of Christ and has thrown them away and now makes us the temple of the living God. We have forgotten that. This is a table where we come back and remember. Oh yeah. But it's not just a table for remembering. Because that's in the past. It's also a very present table because the Lord meets us in this place this is a sacrament it's a place that he pours out his grace so that we can taste him we can chew on him and we can know that he is real so it's a very present table but it's also a very future table because the kingdom in which we taste but little here is the kingdom that we long for and we set our hope upon for that kingdom is coming there will be a new heavens and there will be a new earth. And we will inhabit it because we are his people. So it's remembering, it's present, but it's knowing. And we get up from this table changed as those to live in love with the one that has radically loved us. Does that make sense? You guys with me? Tracking with me? Yeah? Okay. Okay. Because we're about to come to the table. Let me read for you out of uh, Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Listen to what Paul says about this table. For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, what does that mean? As a sacrament, when we come to the Lord, it's not a religious ceremony. We come to a living Savior. And this is a powerful thing. And the Lord says very clearly to all of us here, if that's not a reality for you, if you have not experienced what I've talked about this morning, the forgiving grace of God in your life that makes you change from being an old, the old person to the new, to being a Christ follower, then this table is not for you. We welcome you here. But we also, because we care about you, we are warning you. This table is for those that declare Christ as Lord. Okay? The second thing that he says is, and he knows because you may be looking around the room and going, wow, that person calls themselves a Christian? Because they were partying with me last night. Jesus knows exactly the kind of stuff we get ourselves into. And because of that, Jesus says, for those of us that are Christ followers, examine your heart. If there are areas of your life that you're saying to God, you can't have this, Jesus is saying, deal with that before you come here. And we know that to be true about relationships, don't we? Have you ever dated somebody? And have you ever been at dinner and they want to make the dinner romantic? And yet, y'all got all this stuff you're not dealing with? And you're like, you've got to be kidding me. You're not going to light that candle. We're going to talk about our issues first. Well, that's what Jesus is saying. He's the lover of our soul. Before you come and taste his kiss in your life, you need to let him into your life. If you're confused about how to handle those kind of things or how to walk through them, then uh, when we... I know this is weird and it's awkward and I don't want to walk out the door. That's me, isn't it? Starch in my shirt. Sorry. I know it may be weird to walk out that door and talk to some people that can pray for you when we come up here, but guys, we've got to kind of get over that. And let's enter into the journey of where the Lord has taken us, okay? But if you're in need of the Lord, if you're coming open-handed and saying, Lord, have your way with me, let your grace flow over me, for I want to be the one that you have planted your kingdom in and are shining forth, then this table's for you. It's for all us messy, inconsistent people that need it deeply. Okay? I'm going to pray. After I pray, um, our worship team is going to lead some worship. When you feel led in your time of prayer and meditation, as you use this whole time of worship as prayer meditation before the Lord, as you feel led to come up, come up. Uh, we have no order here. Just come up when you're ready. Have a you can kneel, you can stand, you can do whatever you want. This is a time of worship. But when you're ready for us to serve you, put your hands out, and we would be happy to serve you. If you need prayer when you come up here, if you would just cross your chest, obviously, um, then those that are serving would be happy to pray for you in this journey. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your grace is so radical. That what we need more of is a deeper understanding of your love for us because that's what you say will fill us to the very fullness of God if we could begin to grasp the height and the depth and the width and the length of that love. Lord, we just have to confess to you that it is so hard sometimes to come to the one that is the giver and the lover of our souls. And we just ask you to forgive us for that, for the things that we've run to that we think will love us better. And in that repentance, Father, in our need for you, I pray you would guide us to this table. Meet us at this table. Minister to us, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.